You are listening to the People First podcast. People First is a self-advocacy group run by people with learning disabilities. And People First podcast is a platform to raise awareness about real issues that affect people with learning disabilities in our community and all around the world. We aim to inform and entertain our listeners by interviewing interesting guests and talking about the things that really matter to us. This is like having a stage to speak out and get our voices heard. Hello and we come to the People First podcast. Welcome Lynn from our organisation Don't Scream This Out. Hi, good morning everybody. Nice to see some familiar faces and some new faces. Thank you Ross. Question one, could you tell us about that Scream Us Out is yes i can because there's not not many clues in the name there is there really unless you actually know much about it so don't screen us out is a campaign run and it's all about screening uh you know like you get like cancer screening or you know some sort of health checks so it's it's something like that and what happens is that pregnant women um, are asked if they want to have a screening test to find out if their baby has, for instance, Down syndrome. And what we think is that this screening test, which doesn't have any health benefits for anyone, um, and what happens often is that women decide not to go on with the pregnancy when they find out their baby has Down syndrome, uh, nine times out of 10, which we think that's a really high number, and so we think things could be done a lot better to better inform pregnant women and their families about what it is to live with Down syndrome and for doctors and nurses to know more about it and to be more supportive to people, you know, support the women when they find out this news because, you know, they wanted to be pregnant and they want to have a baby, but okay, they might get a bit of a shock when they find out their baby's going to have a condition when it's born. But just to, as I say, to be more supportive towards them uh, and not scare them. I've got a daughter who's got Down syndrome who's 22, um, who, again, I know some people have met her. Uh, so I know how this plays out. You know, every few years they get a better screening test and, you know, it's advertised as better and women go along. Often the women don't know about Down syndrome. And like I say, often the people, the professionals don't know. Uh, and yes, when they find out, they feel, I have to keep asking you every appointment. Are you sure you want to keep the baby? Are you sure you want to go on with the pregnancy? Um, so, yes, we, our experience, and there's lots of evidence of that, you know, online. There was, there was a survey carried out, um, and they found it off, I think it was, it was a lot of women, and about 70% of them, after they'd been told the baby had Down syndrome, they were asked if they wanted to stop the pregnancy, have an abortion. Um, and that shouldn't happen. You should be allowed to absorb the news. We've had women like that have gone, you know, had that appointment and then maybe the next day or two gone to work 
and they've had a phone call to say, where are you? And, and the woman might say, I'm at, I'm at work, why? Well, we've, you've been booked in for a termination. That sort of, it's kind of, maybe it's people assume because you've had screening that you want to continue down a path. But sometimes women just want to know if the baby has Down syndrome or not, you know, uh, so they can they can process that information and, and move on. But that's not, it seems that's not how the medical staff see it. And I think a part of that problem is because they don't have a care pathway for these women. So they don't have a set of, of um, suggestions they might make to a woman that says, okay, I need to go and think about this. You know, how, so they should say, think, well, how do we help that woman? But they don't have that pathway um, to help you. So it's like they keep offering the only thing they have, which is, you know, an abortion, which is, again, some of you know, abortion for disability is legal because of a, a clause in um, the abortion law. And I think that's probably unhelpful here because it's the only option that a, a, a midwife has or a doctor has for someone. They don't have another option. So it's almost like, well, we'll keep asking that. But you, you feel if they had another path that they could suggest, which is one of the reasons why we exist, um, trying to get that established, then they would be able to think more broadly about the situation, you know, and take a step back and say, right, I wonder what this woman's going to do and how we can help rather than this is what I've got to help you is to keep offering you the same thing, you know, you can have an abortion and stop your pregnancy. You've been working closely with Heidi Crowther on her appeal on the law of abortion. For anyone who isn't aware, the abortion law currently states that a baby with Down syndrome can be aborted up to the due date, while a baby without Down syndrome can be aborted up to 24 weeks. Heidi is fighting for this law to be changed so we are all equal. If you'd like more information, you can listen to our interview with Heidi, episode 18. Heidi was in court on the 13th of July. How do you think the case went? It's really hard to tell. <laughs> it's very hard to tell how it went. They don't, those judges don't give very much away. They, they have just very neutral faces and it's hard to know. Um, we can hope that it's gone the right way, but I think we also live in a society where people have often must un, don't understand Heidi's case and they think it's about women's rights. But like I was just saying earlier, it's actually about this one single thing in abortion law, which relates to people who have a disability, which is singling them out. And what we want to say is we don't want to do that. We shouldn't do that as a society because everyone with a disability is, is as good as everyone that doesn't have a disability. So we shouldn't have a clause in the abortion law that singles those people out for treatment, which has been unfavourable for them because, like I say, less people with Down syndrome are being born than, you know, women have pregnancies with Down syndrome. So that's, I don't know, is the thing. And I think it seems to me really obvious that the judge should rule in Heidi's favour, but I think he also has to, he's sitting in a society that thinks differently from sometimes just what's common sense. Um, so 
we just have to wait and see. I'm afraid, and he said it might not be for a couple of months. So that's quite nerve-wracking, isn't it? Because because the case was about, you know, whether it creates stigma for people living with disability. And I don't know, I think people would often say that it probably does. It's not helpful, is it? It's not a helpful process, especially the one I've described to you, where it's often people that don't know anything about living with a disability such as Down syndrome that's telling you about it. So they've got their own view of something and then they're telling you um, all about how it is to live with it. And they're trying to predict your future, which, you know, we all say everyone live in the moment. Uh, And and, and if you do that, you know, it'll be fine. But they're actually trying, they're almost like they pull out a crystal ball and they say, "Here's, here's what's going to happen to you in the future. And what we know is that that's wrong, isn't it? Because most people with Down syndrome are happy with their lives. Their parents are happy with their children. It, it might be an unexpected path that they've gone down, but you know, people I know are are very happy and surprisingly happy. They surprise themselves how happy and how how dear their children are to them. And has he been to talk with this church before? Yes, she has. She has been to this case. So Heidi took this case to court, and she had a hearing, just like people saw the other day. And then she had to go back again for the judges to hand out their judgment and she lost the case. Um, And that was last September, I think. And what happens then is you can appeal to say, well, actually, I don't think that was a correct judgment, which is what she did. And then she had to go back in March so that they could decide whether she could appeal the case. So she went back for that. And then that's her back again this time for the hearing, then she'll have to go back again to get the judgment. Now, if the judgment is to go against her, if she loses this case you know, on, on, the, on the grounds that she um, has taken it, she can also appeal again to a higher court. So she went to the court, she went to the court of appeal, and she can appeal to the higher court, which is the Supreme Court. So that will be her next decision if she loses the case, whether she wants to keep going. Um, she says she wants to keep going, but it's been quite a long, like what I'm describing here has happened over more than two years and it's been a long journey. So I think she'll have to you know, decide at the time how she thinks she can deal with the next bit, but she, she has keen to keep going. Um, yes, yeah, she has been in court before. <laughs> And the last time she got to speak in court, which unfortunately never happened this time, I don't know really why that was, because that was very powerful um, when she got to speak and address the judges. got the impression they maybe weren't that keen for her to speak. I think that might have been partly that as well. Was there another claimant? Yes, there's another lady uh, called Moya, and she has a a three-year-old son with Down syndrome. Moya couldn't be there on the day because of illness. Um, so she has a three-year-old son with Down syndrome, so she's the second claimant. So it's Heidi and Moya uh, who are taking the case, and she was taking it on behalf of her son, who's obviously too young to talk about these things. But Moya found out when she was pregnant at 34 weeks. Um, she had chosen not to have screening earlier in the pregnancy, but at 34 weeks, there seemed to be an issue you know, in the pregnancy, and she had some screening done. And they told her that the baby had Down syndrome and they asked her if she wanted an abortion. And she thought, 
it must be really bad to ask me that at 34 weeks pregnancy, you know, when the baby's only got six more weeks before it's born. And uh, she went away and looked and she's like, this is fine. You know, it's okay. The baby's more likely to be born and, you know, have a long life. So that was kind of what, <laughs> what got her going on this case, what she wanted better treatment for women and more, um, again, understanding about Down syndrome. How did it feel uh, being in, in court on the other day? Well, do you know what? I, I stayed outside um, and so I didn't go in because we had lots of posters that we'd brought along for everyone to have their picture taken with. So, like I say, I feel this has been a very long journey, but it's also a very exciting one because nobody's ever taken a case like this before. So it's, I'm, I'm just always amazed to see Heidi doing that, doing interviews with people, like meeting new people. If you think of all these things, they're really quite scary, aren't they? And so I have great admiration for her and Moya too, when she came along, like I think we couldn't have had two better people uh, dealing with this because Moya's a very sensible woman. She thinks things through. She doesn't get into fights with people about things, you know, unless she's really considered it and then she will argue with it. So I thought it was lovely. And because we stayed outside, lots of people came past and spoke to us and it was nice to tell them about our campaign and things. So, and it was great to meet people like yourselves who came, who traveled quite a distance to be there. Uh, and, and I think that's amazing as well. I just, I just love when people do turn up at court and they've made the journey to come there when they don't live in London, you know, it's quite amazing. So I just think the whole thing is, 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 what they say, groundbreaking. It's the first time something like this has ever happened. And it's all very exciting. I wish somebody would write a book about it. How long will it be before the judges make their decision? Well, we think, they say that it will be, they'll tell us by October. But sometimes they tell us something and then it, it doesn't work out like that because the last time we went to court, they said, we'll not come back to court till, like, nearer Christmas and there we were in July so I, I wonder if it'll be as late as October but that's the judges have said it will be maybe around October before we hear the result what happens if it's appeal so if it's, a, if it's a successful appeal what it means is that it's saying that there's a clause in the law or an a law which is discrimination against a group of people. And I think that's something that the government would have to take very seriously. Because that, you know, it's 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 what you call it. It's like the law has had a judicial review is the, the phrase, which is a fancy phrase, but it just basically means they've looked at the law and they see that there's an issue with the law, that this is seen as a discrimination, this um, part, and it's just this very specific thing. So the government would have to take that seriously. And if someone took it to the government, they would have to then look at the law and probably change it because a judge has decided that, you know, this is this is a problem. What happens if it owns an ancestral appeal? I think the government could appeal as well, yes. This is what happens, isn't it? <laughs> I appeal, you appeal. Um, yes, we could, yeah. How many people showed up to support the appeal at the court? Oh, gosh. I never, I never, I never counted them. Did anyone count them? Um, I'm going to say about 
was that about 30 or 40. We had people coming and going at different times as well. Um, we also had yourselves coming. We had a few parents that travelled individually. We had someone's sister, turn, uh, brother turned up as well to support. Um, you know, and then we just have supporters of the campaign turn up. So I honestly haven't counted them, but around 30 to 40, I think. But I also know there's lots of people that would have loved to have come along that couldn't come along. And so that, you know, that's even more encouragement. It's, it's you know, a lot of our parents are carers, you know, they're, or, and they also have children who are um, in school. And I think because it was coming towards the end of term, there was lots of end of term things going on. So, yeah, you're always encouraged that, that people do turn up, you know, uh, to support something like that because you think, yeah, it does matter to people. And uh, to me, those people represent a lot of people that can't be there on the day. So, yeah, it is, you need to know that you're doing something that people are interested in. Well, I think... Uh, they gave us the most accessible court because a couple of us did write. Um, Simone was was sort of encouraging us all to write and make sure that court was accessible. So we had, in, in a physical sense, the court was as accessible as it could be. It had a hearing loop and they live streamed the case, which was also good for people that couldn't be there. So that that's, that's really quite accessible. Um, things like Easy Read, I think a lot of organisations don't quite get the importance of them yet and I think it, again they're maybe a wee bit scared about doing them and uh, what it means so I think things like that we still need to get people to work on but I think on the day I thought they did quite well the court's not the most accessible place anyway <laughs> maybe we need we need to look at the whole structure of the building eh, rather than just just the actual courts but I thought you know, they did make some efforts to make it accessible. Yeah. And there's a lot of support from people going into court who actually under work there asking us what we were doing because we went in the back entrance uh -huh. and I'm telling them, you know, they were shocked by yeah. it actually. Yeah. I think that's, that's what I've noticed is a lot of people, including people that work with journalists, reporters, um, are actually shocked when they hear about the law. So I think that's one of the things Heidi has achieved here is that she's helped to reach more people um, in order for them to know about the law and have their own discussions and thoughts about it. And going back to accessibility thing, I think it's being accessible is good, but being made welcome is even better, isn't it? You know, I don't know if they see them as one and the same, but it's also nice to feel that you're welcome there and some effort's been made to accommodate you. What are doing screen on us out? Sometimes the final forwards after the results. Oh, well, alongside the court case, there's still lots of work going on. It's just one thing that we have to do among lots of other things. So what I've said to you before is we're always trying to encourage um, the medical authorities to look at the language they use around screening to look at the processes they use. So we're always trying to get involved in things, you know, like what you call an external stakeholder, isn't it? We are people with the lived experience and we want to get involved with the medical people who are trying to work out these processes. One of the main aims of our campaign is to have an assessment of the impacts of screening done. 
And that's never been done before around screening. So it's it's the kind of big thing that we'd like to have done. And we'd like to have policy changes made as a result because then everyone would see why they do that. So we're always trying to affect people's perceptions about disability and Down syndrome. So we're always trying to help people with Down syndrome to be self-advocates. And I think we see that's happened in a big way with Heidi because she came along to our, um, again, we had a protest in 2016 outside Parliament and Heidi came along to that and spoke. And ever since then, like her advocacy, advocacy has just gone from strength to strength. So it's good to support, you know, people, self-advocates to do more. Um, we now have a Down Syndrome Act and hopefully that will lead to some things improving as well. So we just see lots of places for improvement. And I think that's, that work's got to keep happening. And it's it's almost like a new, a new branch of this work because national organisations haven't really tackled the issues around screening. Um, so if, if, say, there is a new test brought in for screening, we're asked to comment on that, you know. So it just always seems to be quite busy doing things, and that's alongside the case. Um, but we'll certainly be having a party if she wins the case. So I'll have to plan that. <laughs> You'll be welcome. <laughs> if our listeners want to get involved and help your work, how would they be able to do that? Well, if they want to know more about it, they can uh, look at the website, uh, which is www.dontscreenusout.org. Uh, they can join the mailing list um, if they want to even, you know, give me a call and you know speak about things or ask me to put them on the mailing list. Then that can be done, and then we write out when you know things happen. We also use Facebook. Um, Twitter and Instagram to again tell people about things, news items that are happening. Um, and as I say, we want to also support self-advocates who want to do things. So hopefully because of social media, which sometimes we think is a nuisance, it's good to reach a lot of other people. So um, hopefully we can accommodate that somehow. Do you, do you have anything related to your the Don't Screen Us Out campaign has been around since 2016 and it's the first of its kind. And it, I'm so pleased that we have supported Heidi Crowther to get to a point where she has taken this court case and, and that people all over the world have spoken you know, with Heidi and people have heard her opinions about screening. We want to make screening something that is a benefit for women and not sometimes create problems for them. So we really want we want the, the NHS and the government to make sure that changes are made to make screening more of a benefit than it has been in the past because it's often a problem for women and it results in stigma and discrimination for people with Down syndrome. Thank you so much for coming on, Shirley. We've really enjoyed having you and speaking to you has helped us and our listeners learn more about Don't Screen Us Out and the court case. You're welcome. Thank you. It was lovely to meet you all on a Monday morning. <laughs> Cheered up my day. <laughs> oh, that's all 
from us on this episode of the podcast if you want to learn many about anything we pick out today you can come in with us on twitter at people first forecast please share the pasta with all your friends Thought was in jail and spread the important information we are talking about with many people at Peshawar. See you next time.